This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 209 on a Saturday news radio, E3OWCCO. Couple of headlines, Twins and Sox underway in Chicago. Game two of the three-game weekend series there. The Twins are 4-0 out of the gate, but trail 3-0 in the third inning. It's been a bit of a struggle for the Twins today, and the leaders are teeing off in the final round of the Masters today. And here's what's going on, Ricky Fowler, Charlie Hoffman, Sergio Garcia at four under par. Uh, we, we've already had a uh, little bit of change, and we've had some movement on the leaderboard today. Uh, McGirt, Peters are at three under par. Rom, Couples, and Moore are at two under par with Rose and Scott at one under par. So Fowler, Hoffman, and Garcia now at four under par. Uh, Thomas Peters was tied for the lead, but uh, made a bogey on number one. So it's Fowler, Hoffman, and Garcia, the early lead in the third round of the Masters. A couple other headlines. Timberwolves are idle today. They're at L.A. to play the Lakers tomorrow night. We'll be on the air at 8 o'clock. And the Wild play their regular season finale in Arizona tonight with the Coyotes at 8 o'clock. And then it's on to the playoffs. We're not sure yet if they'll play uh, the Blues or the Predators. That should be uh, sorted out by tomorrow. And Minnesota United FC, they're on the road in Dallas tonight at 7 o'clock. And we'll talk more about that. Mike Max had a chance uh, to visit with uh, Christian Ramirez, uh, one of the Loon stars, and of course uh, leading the team and goals scored right now. So uh, we'll have that a little bit for you later on for you in the day. And uh, Andy Greeter will join us. He covers uh, the Loons for the Pioneer Press. So that's uh, coming up on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, pleased to be joined by Peter Moe, director of the University of Minnesota Landscape Arboretum. Uh, Peter, it's been a while. Uh, happy spring. Uh, it has been, Steve, but I'm glad that we're able to connect today. I always enjoy talking with you. Yeah, good to visit with you, and I'm sure it's a very busy time at the Arboretum as we make that transition uh, from winter to spring, and I know uh, everyone's chomping at the bit to get out in the yard, but it is still early. It's still uh, early April. That's right. I mean, think, pro- things are progressing normally. I mean, we had that real warm weather in February, and then it got cold in March, and now we're just kind of having an average spring day. We're having some you know, really warm temperatures this weekend, and some rain coming. That'll really help. Just Plants will just keep blooming. It's a slow progression through April, and then in May is when things really kind of explode with uh, 38,000 tulips here at the Arboretum and all the other flowers and things blooming. Yeah, it is amazing the things that are popping out of the ground right now in my yard. We'll get to that in a moment, but first, uh, congrats to you and the staff at the Arboretum. USA Today, Reader's Choice 2017, Minnesota's own Landscape Arboretum was named Best Botanical Garden. What an honor. 
you know, uh, thank you, Steve. We're we're still we're so excited about it. It's just it's just amazing. We worked really hard, but all the Arboretum members, and we have so many friends in the community, and you know, we did a we did, we were on yeah, it's WCCO Radio, WCCO TV. You know, it all helps a lot, and we we knew that we were number one, but to have all those people across the country vote for us and end up with that, it's just terrific. We're just thrilled. Yeah, and a, a big honor for not only yeah. you and the staff, but yeah. but all the volunteers at at uh, the Landscape Arboretum. And I, I know when we've talked in the past, you, you always salute those people, and there's so many people involved in the Arboretum. Oh, that's right, Steve. We have 800 volunteers, and they, of course, were working at our pancake brunch a few weeks ago, and now this now they're helping us with garden cleanup. You know, it, it, we are slowly working our way through the gardens and trying to get to the areas with the early spring blooms first. And but it's a, it's with, we couldn't do the beautiful gardens and the research work and the, all the other things here at the Arboretum, the library work without volunteers. All right, uh, Peter, let's yeah. dig right into it. And we should remind folks while we have Peter aboard, if you feel like uh, picking his brain a little bit and uh, talking about your landscape and the, the plants and trees in your yard, feel free to call or text 651-989-9226 or uh, our text line 81807. That's 81807 here at CCO, and uh, always great to visit with Peter. Uh, this morning I did a little more cleanup. Over the winter months, I, I leave what remains of my hostas and my daylilies in place. as a little bit of extra protection, but I've been going around and gently cleaning up some of that stuff as, as they start to pop out of the ground. Is that a good approach for, for hostas, daylilies, those types of uh, perennials? You know, it really is, Steve. You and I are on the same page because that's what I was doing last Sunday and, and this morning. So I, but it, it really, it helps to have those, the tops on the plants during the winter. Help catch snow, a little bit of insulation. Sometimes there's some seeds that birds can eat during the winter. And we're finding some now, some of the native bees actually will have, will be nesting in the stems of those, of those plants. And so that it helps them to get through the winter too. So now's the time. It's better to leave them during the winter and clean them up now. So it isn't too soon to get out though and clean those up, I suppose. And I'm always very careful not to damage any of those plants that are just starting to emerge from the mulch. Uh, that's right. You have to. That's exactly right. You be careful and make sure you aren't stepping right on the crown of a plant. Uh, but you can, if you're, it's it's really if you wait too long, then the dead the dead material is mixed in with the green stuff coming up, and that can cause problems too. So now is a good time, especially if, since it hasn't rained for a few days. It's kind of dry. It's a really good time to get in and start cleaning up your gardens. Now, now is it too late to do any pruning on, uh, say, for instance, the fruit trees? If if you forgot to do it over the winter months, is is it too late to go out and maybe take some of those lower branches or clean things up a little bit, particularly on the apple trees? You know, it's a little later than we'd normally recommend, okay. Steve, but since uh, we, in, if you don't have a lot of disease problems on your trees, you're probably okay. But I would definitely yeah. try to get that done in the next few days because as the weather gets warmer, you're more likely to spread some of the diseases. Now, we've heard over and over that you don't want to touch the oaks, that we're in that time of year where uh, pruning or taking branches off an oak tree is a bad idea. That's right. From now on through end of July, you should never prune oak trees. Sometimes you might have to cut some branches if they're broken in a storm or something, but that would be the only time. And you just leave them alone, and we absolutely don't want to spread oak wilt in our beautiful red oak trees and other species. Yeah, and at the Landscape Arboretum, have there been problems with oak wilt? Have you had to deal with any of those concerns? 
Uh, we uh, we haven't had oak wilt recently, but over the years we have had it a couple times, and we've done this you know same things that'll be recommended by arborists and by the university. We've done some breaking root grafts, uh, trenching around the trees. We've done some fungicides in the ground. That's uh, sanitation is really important, mo- removing the trees as you notice it. And we we not fortunately though not for a number of years. So it's kind of a disease that comes and goes, but that's because we're careful with our with our pruning and how we take care of our trees. A um, couple other things in the landscape um, for garden spots and those types of things uh it, it it's way too early to really plant anything right now outside because we, we see in the forecast the ups and downs and still can get very chilly at night and there's still a concern about frost but um what, what about turning the soil over i know farmers are out in the fields in some cases turning over the soil is that a good idea in the garden spots to kind of loosen it up and kind of let let it breathe a little bit uh, you know, Steve, it depends on two things, how wet the soil is and uh. the type of soil you have. If you have a sandy soil, some of the people in the northern suburbs, they could be doing that right now. And even in my yard, it's, the soil is fairly dry, so I, don't, I think I could uh, do some of that, but I would probably wait a little bit longer. The clay soil can really be damaged if you work it too much when it's wet. It gets compacted and gets real hard then when it gets dry. Not good for plants, plant growth. All right, so uh, once again, a little too early. I suppose, though, uh, for those gardeners... Uh, we're getting fairly close to the time when maybe some of those hardy cool weather crops like radishes might be okay. That's right. It's really based on soil temperature. Yep. Radishes would be certainly one of the best ones. Uh, you know, it's not too early to, to put some uh, pansies out either or some of those real cold, hardy mm. annual flowers. Yeah, and it is amazing. Um, yeah. Speaking of the cold, and I, I, I see the weather's going to turn after a warm weekend, potentially stormy on Sunday and Monday. Uh, but it looks like it could be uh, cool. We we could even see rain or snow Monday night, according to the forecast, with a low down around 32 degrees. But uh, those those perennials, like the daylilies and the hostas, those are pretty hardy. I have peonies in the front of my house, and they're popping out of the ground. And those those are pretty hardy, aren't they? They are, Steve. I mean, you've mentioned some of our our traditional plants that have grown well in Minnesota for hundreds of you know 100 years or more, and that's one of the reasons we grow those plants is they can take our weather, which can vary. It can be 80 this time of year, or it can be 25 this time of the year. But those those hardy perennials can they, they're not damaged unless the temperature drops way down into the teens, and even even sometimes that doesn't bother them too much. So. All right, Peter Moe joining us, director of uh, the renowned Minnesota Landscape Arboretum. Uh, Pat and Arden Hills, uh, you're on with Peter. Hello. Hi there. Uh, I was wondering if it's too early to uh, reseed some grass. Uh, Pat, this is an excellent time to seed grass. What's happening is the grass seed, the grass is a cool season plant. It has to get in contact with the soil. So make sure that you lightly rake or something so that to make sure the grass seed gets into the soil. But grass seed will germinate early. And if you get the grass seed germinating now, it can get, get a jump start on a lot of the weeds that will be germinating later when the soil's warmer. So now is a really good time. Yeah, and one of those is the crabgrass. And for some reason, it's timed with the lilacs bloom, isn't it? You're right, Steve. So that's about a month away. So yeah. you can maybe get the grass off to a little bit of a head start. Yeah, so so not uh, a bad deal. Yeah. Um, as part of the Minnesota Landscape Arboretum, is, is turf grass a big part of it? I know it's a part of many of our landscapes, but uh, what about turf at the Arboretum? You know, it's never something that we focused on, yeah. but one of the things we've done is, of course, we, we want to have really nice grass in our, in our high-maintenance gardens, the perennial garden and some of our... Sure. Uh, 
annual gardens and things where we have we want those to look really nice, so we, we man, manage those very well. But we are working quite a bit with the turf scientists at the University of Minnesota and the horticulture department and testing some of these new turf mixes that require less water and less fertilizer and less mowing and using a variety of species. We're even testing bee lawns where you can plant things like clover and, and other plants in your grass so you can have uh, uh, food for the bees that are visiting your yard. Yeah, and I'd love to talk more about uh, pollinators and uh, how you can incorporate some of those plants into your landscape. Peter Mola is joining us. He is the director of the University of Minnesota Landscape Arboretum and, of course, USA Today, uh, Reader's Choice 2017 Best Botanical Garden. And I I visited some of those on the list, but it's good to see Minnesota Number one, it is 220. Quick break. We have more in a moment on CCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. 225, we have a few more minutes with Peter Moe, director of the University of Minnesota Landscape Arboretum, one of the great treasures here in the Twin Cities area. Do yourself uh, a favor and uh, visit for sure, and we'll we'll get more from Peter about the hours and the website before we say goodbye. Uh, Peter, uh, from our text line, um, Lilac's a reliable performer. They they do require some maintenance, but someone was wondering, uh, how close should I plant lilacs if I want to create some sort of windbreak? Well, then you might want to plant them. I'm talking about the big, like the French hybrids and the common purple lilacs. I would plant those about six feet apart for a windbreak because they get to be quite large shrubs. Yeah, and, and what about managing those? Sometimes is it good to renovate, and, and, and what time of year should you renovate the lilacs and trim those out and thin them back? Yeah, if you've got some really big old lilacs that are only blooming on the top, one of the things to do is cut some of the oldest stems out all the way back down to the ground, maybe a third of the oldest stems, and then you'll get more uh, suckers coming from the base that will bloom in a year or two. It might take them a little bit. You never want to cut lilacs halfway back. That just kind of ruins them, and you'll get a lot of sprouts that don't form flowers. One option, though, that we have had some success at the Arboretum, actually quite a bit, is you can do chainsaw pruning and take lilac shrubs completely down just to about six inches above the ground, and you can do that right now. You would sacrifice this year's bloom, but next year you'd have some flowers, and the following year you would have really nice uh, nice lilacs. All right, and you'll be able to manage them because those things can get out of hand. <laughs> they get big. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, l- let's go to Dwayne. You're on the phone lines. You're on with Peter Moe. Hello. Hey. Hey, thanks. See, we laid, we put a new driveway in last year, and now I want to. I have to do some fill around it and then seed. What kind of fill should I use? What kind of soil do I need to use to plant new seed? You know, right next to your driveway there, where cars might drive on it once in a while, I wouldn't use like the potting soil you buy in the garden center that has a lot of peat and things. It should really be a soil that that has a. It should be real soil with some sand and and loam and. Uh, you, you might need to buy that from a company that specializes in topsoil mixes, but make sure that it's not a potting mix because that's a whole. What you're looking at is something completely different. You want something that'll be a more of a solid surface that'll still support grass, but not uh, just be real mushy when it gets wet. Yeah, and turf seems to love uh, uh, sand and good drainage. It's like a golf green. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. E- exactly. Uh, a lot of sand in those greens, uh, for yeah. sure. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, once again, uh, soil temps, uh, a big part. Uh, we're starting to see the turf green up, uh, starting to see buds on the trees. It's getting close. 
That's right, Steve. We've got a lot of our, we sometimes call minor bulbs, I don't really like that name, but low things like Scylla sure. and Crocus and Glory of the Snow, they're all in full bloom right now. And we've got more of those coming. We've planted uh, 30,000 of those last fall. Wow. But then the, the trees will start blooming. Some of the earliest trees are the magnolias and the apricots. They're probably still a couple weeks away, but it's really temperature dependent on how, how quickly the warm weather comes and then stays for a little while. Yeah, the rhubarb's starting to pop out. I have some tulips that are, are coming up. It's, it's fun. It, it is. Uh, spring is a great season. The birds are coming back. I saw a bluebird yesterday, and we're seeing sandhill cranes here. And every day there's something new blooming and new birds, whatever. It's just it's a great season. The smells are wonderful, too. How, how long are, are tulip bulbs productive? I, I've planted some bulbs, uh, I guess it's three autumns ago, and they are, are still popping up out of the ground. How, how, how long will those go? You know, it varies a lot with the type of tulips. Some sure. of these, the smaller tulips, the species tulips that are really mm. actually like wildflowers in Turkey and their native habitat, those will come back for years and years. Some of the of the tulips that put on the real big displays tend to be shorter lived in Minnesota, like the Darwins and things. But it varies a lot from tulip to tulip. So, so it just kind of depends. Yeah, it does. All right, yeah. and and what about uh, fertilizing those uh, perennials like like rhubarb and tulips? They all seem to be in kind of the same family. Uh, I would fertilize those in the spring because they're, 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 you know, the foliage will disappear on the tulips, and rhubarb you right. want is going to be, of course, growing longer by time because the plants are, or the roots are growing, the leaves are starting to grow. And so what I use is a balanced fertilizer, something like a 10-10-10 that you mm-hmm. might use in a, either vegetables or flowers, something not too high in nitrogen. All right. Uh, do we have time for one more call, Jonathan? Yeah, well, we, we can probably squeeze one more in. While we're waiting for that call to get queued up, we, we have a weather break, and we'll let Peter get on with his day momentarily. But uh, uh, the website, uh, the hours for the Arboretum. Uh, arboretum.umn.edu is the website, and we're open 8 to 8 uh, every day right now. All right. Eight to eight every day, and a, yep. just a, a treasure. And that that award is is fun. I know uh, it, it's so different from Minnesota. I was born in St. Paul and and lived my entire life in the Upper Midwest. But it was a thrill to get to the uh, Desert Botanical Garden uh, down in Phoenix and uh, the Desert Museum in Tucson. It, it's just so different. And and all of these botanical gardens. And uh, arboretums on that top ten list are are amazing, and I'm sure you visited many. I've been to quite a few of those, Steve, and it, 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 that's really what makes it such an honor. Is that we were up against the real, literally yeah. the very best gardens in the country. It's a great way to learn new plants when you go to when you're on vacation. And I go to arboretums on almost every trip. Uh. It's just a fun way to see what's growing in different parts of the country. Yeah, and uh, getting out to the desert, it's so foreign if you were born and raised in this part of the world to go out to the desert. But the, the variety of plants uh, that, that grow and thrive in the desert is extraordinary. It is, and the Desert Botanic Garden is just there. They, 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 you'll see plants there that you won't see anyplace else. A lot of them are native in the deserts, but not places where people see them very often. So they've got the curators and the gardeners there do a great job of showing the diversity of plants that grow in that really stressful environment. All right, uh, let's bring in Peter in Minneapolis. You're on with Peter Moe from the Arboretum. Hello. Hello. I uh, got a problem with uh, night callers. I got mounds all over my backyard, and then where, it, where they aren't uh, digging, I got uh, moss. And I was wondering how I could take care of either one or both. All right. Those are both uh, not easy problems to deal with. I don't know of a good way to deal with night crawlers. You can uh, vertical mow your lawn to knock the, the mounds down, but it's not going to stop them from coming back. 
some of the chemicals that used to be available I don't think are listed any longer, and then you have to be concerned about pets and, and birds and things too. So it's, there really is not a great solution for that. Moss typically indicates low fertility and shade. Uh, one of the things I was doing at home today was taking out a tree that was past its prime. That I had an area where the, I really wanted some more sunshine, and so I took a tree out this morning. because if, if, if But sometimes if nothing else will grow there, moss is better than bare dirt. So. Yeah. So, but I'm sorry, not a great solution. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it, it, turf requires some sun. I, I think some of those shade mixes, I, I've, I've never had good luck with it. I, I think the best thing for turf is, is plenty of sun. That's right. Uh, the, the, definitely, if you do have semi-shade, the shade, sunshade mixes will perform better than just a standard bluegrass, that's for sure. Well, it's an exciting time of year. Spring has sprung. Peter, it's always great. Hopefully you can join us again soon. Oh, I'd like to, Steve. Really nice talking with you and, all, right. and the, vis, all your listeners. Thanks so much. Peter yeah. Moe, director of the University of Minnesota Landscape Arboretum. And once again, uh, USA Today, uh, best botanical garden in the country. Number one. 233. We'll have an update on the weather coming up a little bit later on in the hour. Bruce Siski, he is the voice of UMD men's hockey. Tonight they play for the title against Denver and Chicago. Uh, we'll, we'll get the Bulldog story coming up a little bit later on in the hour here on the CCO. 239 here at News Radio, 830 WCCO Wild. Close out the regular season, hard to believe. Uh, they will be at Arizona tonight at 8 o'clock. NHL playoffs get started on Wednesday and Thursday night. No word on who the Wild will host in St. Paul or when they'll host them. Could be the Blues, could be the Predators. Uh, we'll find out for sure on Sunday evening when that's all sorted out and announced. Wolves on the road, uh, they continue. They battle the L.A. Lakers tomorrow night. Just three games to go in the regular season. Uh, L.A. Sunday night, we'll be on the air at 8, tip 8.30, John Mifoki and Alan Horton. Then the Wolves return home on Tuesday. They unveil the new logo on Tuesday. They get the Oklahoma City Thunder and a chance to see the great Russell Westbrook. And I saw he notched enough rebounds in the game last night to ensure that he'll average a triple-double this season. That is double digits, points, rebounds, and assists. And he is in rare air being able to average a triple-double. I mean, that that does not happen a lot. There's only one that comes to mind. There may be a second person that may have done it. Uh, maybe Wilt Chamberlain did it. I have to look that back, uh, th- look that up. The big O. But the only person in the history of the NBA, to my recollection, that has averaged averaged a triple double for an entire season is Oscar Robertson. Right. That's it. That's the list. Now you got Oscar Robertson and Russell Westbrook. That's yeah, it. That it is. It That's is it. just extraordinary. And he will be in town on Tuesday night at seven o'clock, and then the Wolves close it out on Wednesday night at. Houston. Now there's one record that Westbrook can break that Robertson held ha- has held by himself for the last I think it was 35 45 years something of that nature I have to look that up too. But they are tied with 41 triple doubles in a season. So Westbrook still has about 3 4 games to break that yeah, mark. Probably 3. And he may he may do that on Tuesday against Minnesota. How about that? All right, there's that little tournament down in Augusta, Georgia. 
the Masters is underway, and I'm going to quiet my voice. Charlie O'Hoffman, one under through two, your leader at five under par. Thomas Peters, Ricky Fowler, Sergio Garcia, all lurk, one back at minus four. Early in their third round today, moving day. William McGirt, the journeyman, one under through four. He's at minus three. John Rahm playing alongside Freddie Couples, one under through five. He's at minus two. Paul Casey, a good round going, four under through 14. He is at minus one along with Soren Keltson. Jordan Spieth, Adam Scott. Fred Couples and Ryan Moore all at one under par. A uh, couple of big names. Phil Mickelson, one over through seven today. And Jason Day uh, played well today. Minus three, 69 to finish at three over for uh, the tournament there. So you, you're up to date on what's going on in uh, the third round of the Masters. And we'll continue to keep an eye on that throughout the day here on CCO. 243, we'll get a preview of the NCAA men's hockey title game tonight at United Center in Chicago. The UMD Bulldogs battled the Denver Pioneers. Bruce Siski covers the Bulldogs and calls their games on the radio. We'll get his thoughts in a moment. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. 13 minutes in front of 3 o'clock, more cowbell, 66 degrees, south winds at 16. Is that not one of the greatest sketches in Saturday Night Live history? It's got to be. I can't think of one that's better. Melissa McCarthy as Sean Spicer is pretty good, but uh, the cowbell, more cowbell. Wow, good stuff. Good stuff tonight at United Center in Chicago, UMD in Denver for all the marbles, NCAA men's hockey, and the play-by-play voice of the Bulldogs, Bruce Siski, joins us on the line. Bruce, what a ride to the title game for the Bulldogs. It's been a fun year, that's for sure. Uh, you know, it's uh, not often that you – get a team that's been, you know, number one, number two in the country for pretty much the entire year and still can get to this point. You can't take that for granted because there's usually a lot of upsets in this tournament. In fact, the first one versus two title game, Steve, since 1993, and I can't think of any two teams more deserving than the two they're going to play tonight. And the Bulldogs haven't made it easy on themselves. They've been winning a ton of tight games in this tournament. Uh, One goal games all the way along. So if the game's close late, pick the Bulldogs. You go back to the NCHC championship game, and you have four straight wins that have either been overtime or have been decided in the final minutes of regulation. So, yeah, they've uh, they've got a lot of experience. In, in their last 20 games, they've won 16. Nine of those have been one-goal games. Five of them have been overtime. And of the four that weren't overtime, three of them were decided in the final minute 21 of regulation. They, they are, uh, you know, cardiac kids, I guess. That's, an old, that's the old adage in sports, and uh, it's pretty accurate with this group. Yeah, and a familiar foe. I mean, this is old WCHA stuff with UMD in Denver, and uh, these these guys know everything about each other. No secrets. Well, that's the thing, you know, especially nowadays with video and and yeah. you know scouting the way it is. You know, these coaches spend as much time doing that as as much almost as much as anything else, and you know. It's it's weird because they know each other, but they haven't played in four months. And Jim Montgomery kind of pointed that out yesterday. The Denver coach, you know, that these teams have both improved in different ways, 
in the last four months, and that's what allowed them to get to this point. And, you know, both of them have been playing exceptionally well down the stretch. I think Denver's 18-2 and two in its last 20, and UMD is 16-1-3 and three in its last 20. So, you know, again, you know, they've been the best teams of the country for most of the season, and they've also dialed it up at about the same time and been even better here down the stretch. All right, Scott Sandlin, head coach. Does this guy get enough credit? I think he does. I mean, he's considered one of the top coaches in college hockey. Um, you know, 17 years at UMD, he's got a national championship. He's yeah. got a bunch of NCAA trips now, two Frozen Fours, his second national title game tonight, um, you know, over 300 wins. I, I think he's I, – I, I'm not – I guess I'm not really too well-versed on who's getting all the credit in college hockey, but I, th- I certainly think he's getting plenty of love. Yeah, for sure. And you look up and down this roster, plenty of Minnesota kids. Well, yeah, 16 of them, I think. Yeah. Some, some, somewhere around that number. And, you know, a lot of them play big roles. Dominic Tonadato, the captain from Duluth. Uh, Joey Anderson, right wing on that top line, freshman from Roseville. Adam Johnson, who's one of the leading goal scorers from Hibbing. You know, they've got a, a very heavy Minnesota flavor. This is not the 80s and early 90s where this team was very Canadian. They've got some Canadian kids. Carson Soucy, the wild draft pick, is from Spruce Grove, Alberta. But they are, you know, the, the, the water carriers are Minnesota kids for the most part, and, and it's going to be that way going forward. Minnesota kid between the pipes who's been really good all year. Absolutely. You know, Hunter Miska stepped in. You know, he started the opener. Uh, he got pulled in the third game of the year. Got the job back by the sixth game of the year. Hasn't given it up. And, you know, he, he's... He's gotten better every game. He's gotten better, and you know somebody pointed out his numbers in the last ten games coming into the tournament. They're not all that great, but you know you look at his last three, four games, and they've been among his best three, four games he's played all year. Yeah, yeah. UMD, great, great run to the title game tonight in Chicago United Center. What's the vibe been like in Chicago? Uh, I, I I follow you on Twitter, Bruce, and it's fun to follow you all season long and keep up to date on on UMD hockey, but. Uh, uh, Chicago, that that's a big city, man. That's the thing. You get, you know, it's, it, you know my only other Frozen Four was in St. Paul. Yeah. So, and, and while St. Paul's a larger city, St. Uh, St. Paul's also a hockey town. So everywhere you went in St. Paul, there were reminders of the Frozen Four, and that's not the case in Chicago. That said, uh, there's a ton of fans here. I saw a bunch of. I walked over to Navy Pier today. There's a bunch of Bulldog fans and Denver fans over there hanging out. There's a bunch over there right now. You know, it, it's it's a cool place to have this thing. The only disadvantage is that you're you know, where we are, which is right right on the shore, right by Navy Pier. You're a good three four miles from the United Center, and oh, yeah. you know driving over there can be a bit of a bear depending on the traffic in Chicago, which is always uh, a little bit on the heavy side. Yeah, for sure. Uh, UMD Denver tonight for all the marbles and uh, college hockey. And, you know, the, this UMD program, I mean, this is this is a great spot to be in. This this sort of thing only helps uh, to, be, to be going to Frozen Fours. And, and I mean, that, that, that means a ton for the program. And in the building, Amsoil Arena, that doesn't hurt as well. No, and I, I do think these are, you know, these types of runs are nice recruiting tools. That you, you can show these kids Look where you have a chance to get. It's not just a pipe dream. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime dream to get to the Frozen Four. And same thing with Denver. And for Jim Montgomery and his staff to be able to to showcase back-to-back trips to the Frozen Four, get to the national championship game, get in that spotlight on ESPN, you, you can't really beat that when it comes to recruiting. And, you know, 
Then you throw in the NCHC in general, which is by far the toughest conference in college hockey, the only conference, I think, in the country where every team won at least one game this year, non-conference against the team that made the NCAA tournament. You know, again, it's just piling up all these good recruiting tools for these coaches to work with, and, and the recruiting is getting so competitive in college hockey, they'll need all the help they can get. And United Center playing there isn't too bad either, I'm sure. No, the, the kids love it. Uh, it's, it's cool to be able to skate out on the ice, you know, they knowing that the Blackhawks play there, and, you know, the big-time NHL hockey's played in that building, and, you know, Hunter Miska talked about, you know, going out there and winning and how tall the building is, and it's a large building. Yeah. Uh, and it's not something you see every day in college hockey. Yeah. Well, Bruce, uh, what about you? Um, you've been around a while. How much fun is this for you? I was just sitting here thinking, you know, that this is UMD's third championship, and, and I've had the unbelievable, unspeakable honor of being behind the mic for two of them. Uh, I don't even care how the game goes tonight. I'm thrilled, and I'm so excited for these kids, Steve. You know, being around them as much as I have, yeah. the seven seniors the last four years, and, and watching these kids come back when they didn't have to come back, a lot of them, you know, that's the cool thing. And, and I talked to Dominic Tonadato yesterday about that. You know, you're, you're developing a culture now. Andy Walensky came back last year when he didn't have to. You know, Tonadato and Carson Soucy, especially this year, could have gone pro. Nobody would have batted an eye. But, you know, pat on the back, good luck. You know, you've done great things here, but they wanted to come back and win. And, and for them, this moment means a lot. All right, Bruce, thanks for the time. I know you've been bombarded with media requests. Uh, enjoy it tonight. Glad to do it, Steve. Thank you. All right, there he is, Bruce Siski. He is a longtime voice of UMD Bulldog Hockey. UMD takes on Denver for the title tonight at United Center in Chicago. Just a, a great story and a great run to the title game. And you got to give it up for the NCHC, the National Collegiate oh, Hockey Conference. Absolutely. They're going to have the last they're going to have this year's champion. They had last year's champion in North Dakota. Denver is making their as uh, Bruce said their second straight NCAA uh Frozen Four appearance. So the NCHC they're young, but man, they they came in hot, man. Yeah, they they are playing great. Couple of journeymen playing great in the third round of the Masters. Charlie Hoffman, two under through four. He leads at six under par. Of course, he had that sensational 65 in the wind on Thursday. And then William McGirt, two under through five. He's at minus four. Ricky Fowler in at four under right now. Sergio Garcia still uh, even on his round at four under. Thomas Peters, minus three. Jordan Spieth, a birdie on eight. Two under in his round, two under par for the tournament. John Rahm at two under par. It's been a bit of a struggle for Rory McIlroy and Phil Mickelson today. Uh, Phil, once again, uh, losing ground on the field. Two over uh, through eight holes today. Two over par for the tournament. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.